God's Little Brown Church Sermon Series featuring Pastor Andrew Chrysler. You are live. Be good. Andrew is listening now. Um, so, uh, Andrew, Andrew's really good about asking early on uh, for me to preach. Every time I've ever dealt with him, he's always, you know, been able to let me know months and months in advance. But I don't usually start planning my sermon until maybe a week or two weeks out uh, from sermon time. Uh, but I let it roll around in my head a little bit. I have a strange thought process. And it was interesting this time because through a weird synapses of thoughts and strange connections, I came up with patience. I wanted to preach on patience, and I wasn't entirely sure what scripture I wanted, and Andrew started texting me and saying, it's almost time for us to put, you know, the the scriptures up, and I happened to actually be going, I have a uh, YouTube thing I do, I have uh, two followers, all right, so I'm I'm pretty popular, Uh, and I I read through the Bible, that's all, I just read through the Bible, and I've been doing a a thing called 66 books, 66 weeks, so every week I read a a book from the Bible, and this week I've actually was on Jonah, and I thought, hey, Jonah 4 would be a good chapter to do patience on, because uh, it would almost, it, it shows you kind of what not to do. You know, it's one of those books you look at and say, phew, I hope I never get there, you know, and uh, it's it's a good book for that. And while I was prepared, I was, uh, so I, I, I often try to get a uh, get away and go somewhere and try to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do and, and prepare and everything. And I'm bringing this up because I find it pretty cool how God works. And uh, so... I had an idea because I'm a night bird now. I, I work overnights at a uh, uh, Target warehouse. And so my sleep schedule is turned around. So at night, that's when I'm kind of up and around and, and all that stuff. So I thought it would be cool. And since no place is open, I like to go to restaurants or whatever and spread all my books out. But there's no restaurants in our area that are open 24 hours now. But there's a service station uh, on the 87 on the north way uh, down where we live. So I was going to go there. But first I wanted to check my gigs. I have a delivery service I do on the side. So I checked my gigs, and there was one going out to a college at like 11.30 at night. So I went out to the college, and there was nobody there. It was vacant. So I called the number that was on the list, no answer. So I kind of put it in that I, you know, nobody was there to pick it up, and they make you wait like 15 minutes before you leave. So I was kind of, kind of checking things out, and the door was open on the learning center at the college. So I was like, hmm, that's cool. So I kind of went in, and I'm looking around. There's a huge empty room with all these tables. So I was like, this is where I'm camping out. So I got my books, and I went in there, and I camped out, and on the wall, it said, Kindness and patience goes a long way. And I was like, that's perfect. This is where I need to be. Security guard didn't think so after I was done. But uh, it was okay. Everything turned out all right. I'm here today with a good message. Let's pray and uh, we'll watch God move. Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, my words today, Father God. Let them be yours. We thank you, Lord, for the life of Jonah. We praise you, Lord, for his example. 
And we pray, Lord God, that you will bless us as uh, we get into it. Help us to and, uh, wrap our minds and our hearts around patience, Father God. It's such an important attribute, Lord, and uh, so few of us are able to possess it in the right way, Lord, including me. So I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, uh, give me a heart to understand it myself as we go through it. Thank you. In your precious name, amen. So what I'm going to do is kind of lay out Jonah for you. I know everybody knows the story of Jonah. It's something you learn from... It's one of the, the best teaching tools in Sunday schools around the U.S., around the world. And uh, it's, it's adaptable because it's easy to read. It's 10 to 15 minutes if you want to read the whole thing. Uh, and the story is amazing. It's amazing how God kind of moves through uh, Jonah. What I wanted to do is kind of look at the person of Jonah first because I find him fascinating. And I find him... Interesting in a couple, and I've learned a couple new things uh, while I've been studying him. So I'd like to kind of look at him and kind of a pros and cons list of who Jonah is and the things he does. So we'll go through and see if the pros outweigh the cons in Jonah's life. First of all, and I won't, I won't read the whole thing. I'm going to read chapter four after. Uh, but I'll just kind of go through, pretty much everybody knows the story of Jonah. Uh, Jonah was called by God. That's how it starts. That's a pro, right? Because God doesn't just call anybody. He calls all of us to do certain things for Him, but very few times does He call somebody to write Scripture or to be a prophet or to do some of the things uh, that he has in the Bible. And uh, Jonah is one of those people. So there's a pro right away. Obviously, Jonah has something that God sees that's important in him. So that's a pro. That was his first pro. He's called to preach to Nineveh, and he runs away. Right away. As soon as God calls him to preach to these people, he runs away. We're going to put that in the con list, all right? Because obviously when God calls you to something, it's ideal that you stand up and you do it. But to understand why Jonah ran away from Nineveh, I looked into Nineveh a little closer than I've looked at Nineveh before. And Nineveh was horrible, all right? I know we, uh, some of us have seen the Veggie Tales where they slap each other with fishes and stuff. It wasn't, you know, there was no fish they slapping as far as I know, but... Jonah was an Israelite of the northern kingdom. So after Solomon uh, left the, the throne and his sons took over, almost instantaneously they split the kingdom in half because they were horrible rulers. And there is not one good king that came out of the northern kingdom. There were some good kings that came out of the southern kingdom. It's not much better. Uh, as far as their reputation was. But they had a number of good kings that came out of the southern kingdom. Not one good king. Not one king that followed after God. Not one king that feared God. But at least they had Jonah. right? So he's up in the northern kingdom. And God was using uh, the Ninevites, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And right around the same time Solomon steps down from the throne... 
the Ninevites or the Assyrian Empire is rising to power. And in a rise to power, that means they're making conquests. That, may, that means they're getting bloody. That means they're taking people groups and decimating them. And Israel was on their hit list. And Israel was slowly being kind of chipped away by the Assyrian Empire. So everybody in Israel feared the Assyrian Empire and hated the Assyrian Empire. It would be similar if in the 30s or 40s a Jew was called to go preach to the Nazis. You know, there would be that same kind of a hatred for these people. And some Jews were called to go preach to the Nazis. I know from different testimonies that Corey Ten Boom and some of these other people, she wasn't Jewish, but she was a Christian, but she was still put in the concentration camp. Some good godly people were called to go to the Nazis, and they did a lot of good. But Jonah's called to go to the Ninevites, who are taking his country apart piece by piece, and he doesn't want to do it. It's not that he was afraid to stand up for God. We'll see later he's not. But he just didn't like these people and he didn't want them to get saved. He didn't want them not to be destroyed because God's message is a horrible message for them. I'm going to destroy them, pretty much. Now, we find out later in chapter 4 that Jonah has a conversation with God during this time. Because Jonah says... Lord, I know you're merciful, and I know you're kind, and I don't want these people to get saved. And then he runs away. And interestingly enough, he goes to Joppa, where the, the ships are leaving from, and boards on Tarshish. And uh, that's interesting because Peter is called in Acts 10 to go to Joppa, and he's called to welcome in the Gentiles. Interestingly enough, and Jonah's going there to get away from preaching to the Gentiles. Peter's called to welcome in the Gentiles. That's the first time that God calls somebody to reach out to more than just Jewish people, at least in the uh, Christendom, not in uh, the Jewish religion. But So he flees, he gets on a boat. You know the story? The boat kind of starts going a little crazy. The storm whips up. God is trying to get Jonah to do the right thing. And Jonah is fast asleep. All the mariners are freaking out. Now, these are guys that know the ocean or know the seas, right? These guys are sailors, pirates, whatever they are. You know, you get this idea in your head. These guys are some swarthy seafaring folks. And they know how to handle a boat, but in this situation, they're, they're freaking out a little bit. And there's a good reason for it, because it, it, it's, it's interesting to me, the heart of these guys. These guys have a good heart. It's really interesting, because they all serve different gods, and they come to the conclusion that the reason... The boat is, is acting the way it's acting and the seas are whipping up the way they're whipping up is because somebody did something to offend their God and they gotta find out which God got offended so they can settle the situation. So they're asking each other, did you do anything? Did you do anything? And Jonah's fast asleep, so they wake Jonah up from a fast sleep. I'm gonna put that in both the cons and the pros. Because first of all, here's Jonah. It's almost, and there's, there's a lot of correlations between Jonah and Jesus. And if, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is when the fishermen, his disciples are in the fishing boat, 
and the storm whips up and Jesus is just fast asleep in the boat. Remember that? And then he gets up and he calms the seas and everything. Um, Jonah's in a similar situation, so it, it almost seems like it's, you know, he's peaceful sleep. He has a faith in God, he has a trust in God. Uh, so maybe that's why he's sleeping, but also he just ran away from God and he's a little too content here, you know? So maybe he's sleeping for the wrong reasons, but who, for whatever reason, he's tired, he's sleeping. They wake him up and they say, who do you serve? And he says, I fear the Lord, the living God, the one who made heavens and earth. So we give him props for that. He automatically comes clean, you know, and they're like, oh, you serve that God. <laughs> And it's cool because they, it seems like they know who his God is, and they're more afraid of his God than their own gods, and so they kind of have an inkling. And God's reputation always seems to do that. It always seems to precede him. When the Israelites were coming through to go to the promised land, um, the nations feared them. Rahab, remember Rahab, prostitute, uh, took in the two spies that came, and she says, everybody's really, really uh, afraid right now because they know you're coming and your God is the God of heavens and earth. And so people know when God is on the, on the, on the move, they get a little worried, even if they don't serve Him. These guys know something's up. Right, and so they do the they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. So they know Jonah's the one who is responsible, and he automatically. And they say, "Well, what should we do?" And here's a big pro for Jonah. He tells them, "You need to pick me up and throw me overboard so that you will be saved." That's a pretty cool character, I think. Somebody who is willing to put their life down for somebody else. Again, another correlation to Jesus. You know, throw me over the side. You guys will be fine. And the, how cool these guys are is they are like, let's try something else first. So they throw all the stuff off the ship. They try rowing away. You know, they try rowing for land. And the storm gets worse and worse. And eventually they come to the conclusion, okay, we're going to have to listen to Jonah. And they do it regretfully. Like they don't want to throw Jonah over. Part of it may be because they really like Jonah or they really have respect for human life, but maybe a lot of it is because they have a great fear of his God. And I think of David in that respect too, because David had such a fear for the anointing on Saul that he did not want to touch Saul. Even though Saul probably deserved to be killed, uh, many times over, David had the chance to kill him and end, you know, that whole thing that Saul had going against him. But he didn't do it. Because Saul was the anointed of God. And these guys are looking at Jonah. Here's an anointed man. You know, because uh, Jonah comes clean and tells him exactly what's going on. I ran away from God. And God wants me to do something. So there's an anointing on this man. They don't want to touch him. But they have to. So they throw him over. You know what happens next. The big fish comes up, grabs Jonah. He's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And Jonah comes clean to God. Big pro for Jonah again. Here he is in the belly of the whale, despairing, hoping. It's dark, dank. Who knows where you're going? I don't know if you guys have... I've just got done sleeping in the van on the way here. I have a little eye, you know, these things that go over my eyes so I could, you know, 
keep the light out. And there are times where it gets really scary because you don't know what's going on. You know, you're just moving or you're sleeping. And I can't imagine what Jonah was going through. Not only was he in the dark, but he was in a fish. It had to be pretty gross. Um, so he's in this huge fish and he prays to God and he comes clean. And there's a cool verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, where he's praying. And he comes to this conclusion, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He says this from inside the belly of the fish. It's pretty powerful. I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. You know, that's a good attitude to have, especially this week. We're going to have Thanksgiving, and I know sometimes family can be difficult to deal with or lack of family. Uh, some of us are, uh, somebody mentioned that some people are having, you know, the holidays alone. Um, that's not easy, but sometimes it's a lot easier than dealing with some of our families, right? And so we have to, some of the family members rub you the wrong way, and it's a good time to remember patience during that time and, and to kind of get through it with a voice of thanksgiving. Um, so that that's something Jonah had come to the conclusion of. <clears throat> and then he gets spit out of the fish's mouth. Now, before I did my study on this, I didn't really know who the Ninevites were. I knew that they were an enemy camp and that they were kind of against Israel. I didn't know they were the capital of Assyria. I never really looked into it that deeply. It's one of those stories you know from, you know, you know from Sunday school and you've taught maybe the basics of it to your kids and stuff, but it's one of those stories a lot of people don't really look into too much. But another aspect of uh, the book of Jonah was also uh, his proximity to Christ. And, um, and, and we'll kind of, we're going to kind of go through there as we go through chapter 4. But we'll get to that right now. Well, so we'll read chapter 4. We get spit out on the uh, the sea, and and one of the things I always thought is he just kind of gets thrown up on the shore. He comes to the conclusion he has to go into Nineveh, so he goes in there and he preaches, and miraculously they just turn. They just turn, right? That's a miracle, but is it really? Is that part a miracle? Because one of the one of the things I read. Um, and I, I want to go through it real quick. First of all, is, is that part historical? Did, did it actually happen? A lot of people have a problem with this part of the Bible. There's a lot of skeptics out there, as we well know, right? And this is one of those things they always bring up. Oh, yeah, a guy got swallowed by a fish, I'm sure, you know. It's one of those things where you kind of have to defend. Well, you know, it's possible. There's fish out there that are big enough. Um, but is it is it is that an acceptable answer to us? And and of course it is. We know God can do whatever He wants. We don't need tangible proof, but we have tangible proof in the Bible, and that tangible proof is found in Luke. Well, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter twelve, verses You want to turn there with me? 
I purposely didn't mark it, so I'd have to turn there too, so I'd give everybody time to do it. Sometimes you just flip over, oh look, I found it, you know, I had a marker in there, but I didn't do it that time. 39 to 41, this is Jesus talking. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the body of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. That's pretty good proof for me. Jesus kind of seconds the story. He, he says, this actually happened. And the people of Nineveh are going to look at you guys and laugh because you didn't accept me. Now you have to think about it. When I first came to Christ, I came to Christ with little knowledge of really who he was. Right? I knew that he was the way. I knew that I needed help and that he was the one I needed. Something just told me that. But that wasn't, that, I don't know if that would have been enough to keep me there for 30 years without looking more into it. So I've looked into the story of Jesus' death and his resurrection and all those other things, and I've come to the conclusion that there's no other possibility that it could happen. And the reason for that is because there were so many eyewitnesses of that day that saw all these things happen. They saw him die on the cross. They, they, uh, a number of them saw him after he rose from the dead. And they say 500 people were there when he ascended into heaven. No, so big deal. Somebody could just write that in. But this was written during the time that these things were taking place and nobody ever refuted it until maybe a couple hundred years later when skeptics started to arise. But during Jesus's or during the time of Acts and, and all the times of Paul writing in the 70 years uh, before Israel was destroyed, these books were circulating. The Gospels were circulating. And parts of the Gospel had the death and the resurrection direction the beginning of acts has him ascending into heaven and nobody during that time refuted it never even uh, a secular historian named Josephus records Jesus teaching and all these other things so we know Jesus was real we know that he that these things happened simply because somebody would have said ah, I was there nothing like that happened you know nobody came forward and did that so we know these things happened so when it comes to Jonah just these Ninevites turning all of a sudden it's kind of interesting and I want to I want to turn to Luke uh, 11, and again, I'm flipping too, so I'll be there with you. 11, uh, verse 30. And there's something cool I never noticed in here. Uh, uh, it's the same kind of, it's the same situation. Jesus is talking about the signs of Jonah, but he adds something in, in Luke 11:30 uh, that is not in Matthew. A little bit of a different connotation. I got the right page here. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So actually, I'm going to start in 29, verse 29. 
And again, Jesus is talking. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. So Jesus is assigned to us because he died and he rose again. He was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And we know that because we can check it. And there were 500 witnesses there uh, to say, yeah, they saw Jesus. So what about Jonah? I always thought in my head, Jonah gets spat out on the beach, solitary, nobody saw it. But I don't think that might be the case. I think people saw it. And when people see a man get vomited out of a fish's mouth, they're going to go, where'd you come from? And Jonah, we know he's honest. We know he, he told the mariners who were going to throw him overboard the truth about what happened. He's probably telling these guys on the seashore, this is what happened. I was called to come preach here, and I tried to run away, and God grabbed me and put me in the fish. And they're probably like, so uh, what did God want you to tell us? <laughs> I mean, you see something like this happen, you know something is there's a message here that you need to listen to. So he goes in, so it always surprised me, he only goes a day's journey in and says, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. And all of a sudden, everybody's just repenting, and the, the king calls a national day of repentance, and sackcloth and ashes, and everybody, even the cattle are covered with sackcloth and ashes. <clears throat> they saw Jonah. They knew what was going on. There was proof to them. And it scared them to the point where even the king repented. This upsets Jonah. So let's read chapter 4. But it, displeased, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better to me for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. I think I find that funny. He's still like hoping, you know, God, please destroy them still, you know. So he's kind of like got front row seats and he kind of wants to watch the show and uh, it's not going to come. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant 
And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had no pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? I love the fact that he throws in and much livestock. It's an important part. Kind of a con for Jonah here. He's throwing kind of a temper tantrum. But I started thinking about it. And I, and I came to a conclusion that I had not previously read uh, or really ever thought about. How do we know this story? Jonah wrote it. I mean, it's kind of one of those stories where you're like, whew. You know, he's probably up there in glory with Jesus, and people are going, oh, Jonah, man, what's going on with you, you know? And uh, he's a little embarrassed, maybe, who knows? But he wrote it. He wrote it. Jonah wrote this book. And he, he fills in even the, the bad parts of himself. Um, I, I find that that's definitely a big pro. And I think throughout this, Jonah learns patience. And I, wanna, I wanted to kind of point out something interesting because I wanted to, why did God do, you know, what was the purpose of having Jonah do what he did and all these things? First of all, God uses Jonah's work powerfully. Now, archaeologically, uh, they haven't found any proof that the Ninevites ever had a big revival in their camp. There were no little stories written on tablets and any of that stuff. But what they did find was interesting, and it's also in Second Kings, Proof of it's in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. <clears throat> they're talking about um, uh, they're talking about Rehoboam the second, which was the king of when Jonah was in the northern kingdom. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. So Jonah has made it to the upper echelon. He's kind of with the king. And here the king is regaining land. So we see here Israel is regaining some other land. There is no definite proof in archaeological digs that the that the Ninevites turned away from what they were doing. But the uh, repentance came, and I wanted to read the repentance real quick, uh, just a verse of it, that the king uh, praised in Jonah 3, 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Now, archaeologically, there's no proof that they turned, but there is proof that for this period of time, there was no conquering of other lands. There was a cease uh, and desist order kind of put up there where Israel was able to kind of rebuild some of their land and all these things were happening. So God used 
uh, that word powerfully, and, and the king's name there was Adad Narari. Uh, he was the king of uh, the Ninevites, and obviously had such a change of heart that it took a couple generations for them to start the process again. Eventually, they did absorb and destroy the northern kingdom. Uh, the Assyrians did. But it took, it took a lot longer than it would have. It's kind of like when Joash came into power in the southern kingdom. Uh, he brought everybody kind of back to a remembrance of God and waylaid their destruction for a couple more years or 40, maybe 40 years. And then after he died, the, God said, all right, let's resume the program where we left off. And uh, they were carried away by Babylon. <clears throat> These guys were eventually carried away by, um, the northern kingdom was carried away by the Assyrians. Uh, but uh, also, there's a, a lot of correlations between Jesus and Jonah, as we've seen. Jo Jesus actually uses, you know, his experience in the belly of the whale to kind of mirror his own situation. Also, Jonah... Uh, was of the northern kingdom in the tribe of Zebulun area, which is exactly where Galilee uh, was. Um, so Galilee is actually kind of overcompasses the Zebulun tribe, and that's where obviously where Nazareth is, and you know all that stuff. So Jesus and him were actually from the same neighborhood, in a way. And uh, there's so there's a lot of kind of cool situations there. Uh, and uh, one of the things also God did is He showed that He has a heart. For somebody other than the Jews. And this is hard for the Jews to understand. We know that when Jesus comes on the scene uh, 400 years after Malachi, that the Jews have kind of said, you know, hey, we're kind of elite. You know, the Pharisees are out there preaching how elite they are and that, you know, foreigners aren't welcome and all this other stuff. But, but God has obviously different ideas, you know. And it, that kind of goes for us too, you know. We, we, are, we are Christians. We are a church. Uh, and we have fellowship together and stuff. But God doesn't just want us to meet every week. He wants us to get more people in. You know, he wants us to get more people into the family. Not necessarily into the doors of the church, but he wants us to go out there where the world is and welcome them and introduce them to him, right? So this is a kind of a calling for all of us, and it was a calling for the Israelites way back when. So let's talk about patience. Something that Jonah obviously had to go through a long period of time to learn. Which, when you think about it, makes a lot of sense. If you really want true patience, you're probably going to have to wait for it. Patience is defined in the Oxford Dictionary, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. How many of us can say we've perfected our patience? I cannot say that myself, and I'm preaching it, so have mercy on me. It comes from the Latin, uh, pati, means suffering. So it actually does have suffering in the very title of it. In the Hebrew, uh, the, the mo they use a couple, God, you know, uh, they use a couple different words to define patience. Patience can be long suffering, endurance, uh, forbearing, ste being steadfast, stand. Uh, hupa, hupamone. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Greek. Um, he uses erec aparum. Erec aparum. And anytime you have an im, 
At the end, this is just a little uh, Hebrew lesson for you guys. Every time you, there's, you see an M at the end of a Hebrew word, it's a plural. That's their S. Um, so, seraphim, cherubim, uh, God is Elohim, right? Because there's three in one, so they call him in, in Genesis, he's called Elohim. Um, so, that means there's more than one. one. Uh, era, uh, it, it means long nostrils. Makes sense. It doesn't doesn't make sense at all. But when you think about it, if you think about it, when you have patience, you kind of like, and I think that's kind of the idea that they had. There was a picture, a word picture, and you take a long breath. Sometimes we need to take that deep breath before we deal with certain people or with certain situations. If any of us are in customer service, you know that breath, right? No, excuse me one second. I have to go in back. Okay. What were we saying? You know, um, in the Greek, there's a similar word, macrothumic, dealing with patience, and that means long soul. So we get the idea that patience is kind of a long game, right? It's kind of a long game, uh, and that's when you're dealing with people. The word for in the in the Greek when you're dealing with a situation for patients is hupomona, and hupo is where we get hypo from, which means under. So if you have a hypodermic needle, it's under the skin. Dermic is skin. Hypomona is under, uh, under foot or stand. Mone means to stand, so you stand under. Or you understand. If you understand more, you have a little bit more patience. That makes sense too. Um, so yeah, those are the Greek words and the Hebrew words. And so obviously God wants us to kind of work at our patience. And what I have a theory that's been shot down by a couple different people, but I still hold to it. Solomon was a king who asked for wisdom, right? He asked for wisdom. God said, you know, I'm going to be a genie today. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say you can ask for anything and I'll give it to you. Could have been riches, could have been power, which... You know, he was going to be king, so he was going to have power anyway. Uh, or it could have been, you know, prestige or whatever you want, and Solomon chose wisdom. So to make that decision says to me, Solomon already had a little bit of wisdom. And I think when we know God, when we uh, were out there in the world, some of us are uh, the uh, prodigals, Right? There are a couple of us, I'm a prodigal, uh, someone else said they were prodigal. Um, there's a couple of prodigals out there, and some of us were born into the church, we never really left it, right? But they're all. we came to a point one day where we said, you know what, I'm going to live for God. And just by doing that, it takes a bit of wisdom. And getting to know God, as we get to know God, obviously wisdom comes out of that relationship. Wisdom and a little bit of patience. And one of the things that I've noticed with Solomon's life is that he doesn't seem like a very wise person. I mean, he had some, some interest, you know, at the beginning he had kind of an upshoot and he made these really cool calls and everybody respected him. And I'm not saying he wasn't wise. He was wise. But I don't think at that time he was the wisest person in the world. I don't think he was. He asked for wisdom. And I don't think wisdom is something you can just go like that and you have it. I don't even think God wants to work that way. I think he had a really good start, but then he married like hundreds and hundreds of women that were worshiping different gods. To me, that doesn't say wisdom. 
to me, there's something wrong there. There's always a disconnect because I was like, how is he the wisest man in the world and he falls into these traps? These are traps for people who aren't wise, you know? These are traps for people that, I don't know, just want to get a bunch of wives. And so he gets all these wives, he, he gets himself together with all these countries, and not only with different women, but with their gods, and he starts worshiping their gods. And so there doesn't seem to be a lot of wisdom there. And then you read Ecclesiastes. And if you read Ecclesiastes, you understand he was an old man when he wrote that. And he finally, it seems at the end of Ecclesiastes, gets it. He asked God for wisdom, and he got wisdom. But I don't think it was like that. I think it took time, as with all of us. God gave him all the other things that he could have asked for simply because he asked for wisdom. And I think it's humbling to ask for wisdom because if you ask God for wisdom, and you should, he's going to give it to you, but it's going to take a while. And then with that wisdom comes patience. Here's some uh, wisdom verses. Romans 12, 12. Patience, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Um, Psalm 41. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Uh, Romans 15, 5 calls God the God of patience. Jonah himself called God a God of patience. Proverbs has some of the coolest stuff on, on uh, patience. A person's wisdom yields patience. So ask for wisdom. Wisdom is the co cornerstone of most of the other gifts that we can have. If you have wisdom, you'll get a lot of these other things. Uh, if you have patience, you'll get a lot of these other things because you need patience uh, eventually to get wisdom. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control, than one who takes a city. There's a kind of thing, people think patience is just kind of rolling over and letting things happen. Um, I watch The Office on a regular basis. I'm making a confession to you. Some of you... Some of you might watch it too, and there is a there is an episode where Jim and Pam get married, and they have a hotel rented out to all their family and friends and people from the office. And one of the people who has a room there is Pam's grandmother, and she's been up all night watching the TV because she couldn't figure how to turn it off. And this is her quote to Michael Scott when he's asking her what the problem is. First of all, she's watching Charlie Rose, and she doesn't like that man. She says, the remote control had so many darn buttons on it, I couldn't turn it off. So I had to sit there while it just happened to me. <laughs> A lot of people treat their patience that way. Like, this is what patience is. We just have to sit there and let it happen to us. Or we have to sit there and take it. Sometimes patience can be that. As long as you can sit there without complaining and griping, then that's patience. But being, being passive isn't necessarily what patience is about. I think there's a strength in patience that's overlooked. I think there's something that you actively have to do to be patient. It doesn't mean you just take everything that happens to you. Patient people stand up for themselves. Patient people go out and they, they right wrongs. Patient people stand up for other people who are being abused or hurt. Patient people serve God, and God is not somebody who just lets things happen to him.
We're taking our cues from God, and obviously Jonah was taking his cues from God. Because he even says, I know you're a God that is slow to anger. I know you're that kind of God. And so eventually Jonah obviously figured it out, and he wrote this book. That was a good thing to happen. It's a good thing for us to remember. I want to close with a reading in James. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12. James is one of those books when you read it, you just get convicted almost every every uh, verse because he's always saying something that cuts deep to our souls. He has a lot of wisdom in a, in a, in a very short book. It's a good book to read. James 1, chapter, verses 2 to 12. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen from a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God calls us to withstand the trials. And in doing that, we will get patience. Ask for the trials. The trials are everywhere. Don't be afraid to confront the trials. Don't run from the trials. Go into them headlong, knowing that you have God at your back. And that this trial is going to help you be a little bit more patient, a little bit more wise, a little bit more loving. And do it with a joyful heart. Do it as Jonah did it in the belly of the fish. Sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. Be willing to sacrifice with thanksgiving. And you will find you have patience with your situation. You'll have patience with people around you, friends or enemies. You'll have patience with God. And eventually you'll have patience with yourself. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of patience, Father. We thank you it doesn't come easy, Father. So many things in this world come easy nowadays. Thank you, Lord, that you've made things hard to get sometimes, worth the getting. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we go through the trials. Maybe we're facing some trials this week. Maybe some of us are uh, facing some really, really horrible trials. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with us as we go through and help us to remember that you are with us as we go through them. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Thanks for listening. For more information, visit glbcvt.org.